Alright, go to Philippians chapter number 2. Philippians chapter number 2, if you would. And uh, let's pray there uh, that God will help us. I'm going to pray just a moment. Remember a, a dear friend of mine, Franklin Thomas, who uh, not only uh, has uh, cancer that he's dealing with, but he's also got uh, AFib. And so he's looking at possible ablation and things like that. His wife Susie's like a sister to me and uh, very, very close. We graduated, uh, I, I was a year ahead of her at Bible Baptist. We were in the teen department together and she's just been uh, a dear friend since our teenage years and then married Franklin and her and Franklin were counselors in our youth department when I uh, went there right out of Bible college. And so hope you'll pray for, for Franklin and pray for Susie also. Just pray the Lord to give him grace and strength, okay? Let's do that right now. Let's pray and then we'll get right into our, our scripture tonight. Father, we love you. Thank you for your love for us. Do for us tonight, Lord, what we need done in each and every heart. We're grateful for your blessings. I, I pray for um, uh, Susie and Franklin that you would be with them, wrap them in your grace. Uh, God, I pray you would help Franklin and, and that your hand would be upon his life as he faces these uh, health challenges. God, have mercy upon him. I pray for Laura that you would bless her. Lord, we know Gene's with you and we're thankful for his testimony. And, uh, and yet I know she needs grace and your sustaining strength in her life. So I pray that you would bless her in a special way. Be with Susie and Dixie and Reagan as they're in Virginia now and, and uh, visiting family and different things. I pray you'd watch over them, give them safety and bring them back. And uh, Lord, just have your way and will in all that we say and do. And we pray this in the name of Christ our Savior. And for his sake we pray these things. Amen. I want you to notice uh, in, your, in your Bible, we'll, we'll just read a few verses and then make some comments and jump right into a, a new section here. Uh, but in, in verse number 7, and let's just read there to the end of the chapter, and then I'll back up a couple of verses and catch us up. Paul said, Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. Paul said, I'm willing to be sacrificed for you Verse 18, for the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. Okay? And verse 19, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state, for all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. But ye know the proof of him, that as a son with a father, he hath served with me in the gospel. Him therefore I hope to send presently, so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. But I trust in the Lord, that I also myself shall come shortly. Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, uh, fellow soldier but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants, for he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that ye had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me also, uh, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him therefore the more carefully that when ye see him again, ye may rejoice and that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him Therefore, in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such in reputation, 
because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life to supply your lack of service toward me. And so in our last study we talked about verse number 14 and uh, was one of the primary verses that we covered where Paul said, do all things without murmurings and disputings. And what was the purpose behind that? It, it is to evidence to us that our spirit, uh, which no one can see but God, uh, will outwardly manifest um, itself through our attitude. That's important for us to remember, that the way that we carry ourselves in public, the things that we say, the things that we do, the attitude. Have you ever heard somebody say, boy, don't cock an attitude at me? Have you ever, you know, sometimes when you become an adult, you're able to walk around and cock an attitude at everybody. And so the reality of the matter is that it's our attitude that reflects our spirit. If our spirit is bad, if our spirit is bad, then um, it comes out in our attitude and it impacts our testimony for Christ. Whether we're in a uh, church service, uh, we can have a bad attitude even there. Or out in public, maybe in a restaurant, and maybe we're not quite... Uh, serve the way that we think we deserve because we are, after all, a wonderfully entitled people. And if somehow it doesn't go exactly like we want it, then, then we have a tendency to complain and whine because, you know, I mean, after all, quality is quality, and we're such experts on quality. It's a facade. The reality of the matter is we ought to be Christians in our spirit in everything we do. Remember this, everybody's having a hard time. So when, when somebody reflects they're having a difficult time, it could be that they're on their last leg. And so we need, to, we need to be very careful in our approach to people. I heard of a man that went to a restaurant and was touched by the attitude of the waiter that was waiting on them and wasn't doing a very good job. And rather than reaching out to him and witnessing to him, uh, he just, because of the guy's attitude, just let it go, went outside the restaurant and began walking away and spent about an hour or so away and the Lord just would not let him go. Went back to the restaurant uh, to try to talk with the guy. There was a gathering of people there. Come to find out that after waiting on that man's table, he went up in his room where he was staying above the restaurant and took his own life. And so that, that's a pretty drastic illustration. It's a true one. It's a pretty drastic illustration, and, and, and that may never happen to us. We hope that it wouldn't, but nonetheless, we are to be people that encourage others, and our testimony should be one where we do all things without murmurings and disputings. And he gives a reason why in the following verse, verse 15, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Maxwell said this, it's a great statement, people may hear your words, but they feel your attitude. You can say, I love you, with the hissing of a serpent, you know. I saw a guy on, on one of the videos from YouTube, and he's messing with an anaconda. And the anaconda's got eggs. Well, he has to take the eggs because he's got to put the eggs in an incubator that will actually help the young, precious anaconda survive. And so he has this prod, and he's moving, and he's talking to her. He said, be sweet. Now, I'm just, I got to do this because I got to help you. I got to help your eggs. I got to, uh, they, they've got to live. And he's prodding and moving her, and she's just staring at him. I'm like, dude, if you think that snake understands the kindness of your words, 
She's got a bigger brain than you do. And her head's only about that wide. But anyhow, as she's moving the eggs, she lunges out and, and latches hold of his cheek. And uh, it was just, yeah, uh, I mean, you know, just don't talk to anacondas is a good idea from that, okay? But, but, but uh, the attitude, you know, she, she was not very kind to him. Sometimes we can look like everything's going great, but our attitude gives the feel of what's really going on down deep inside of us. And then he says, verse 18, holding forth, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I've not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Paul invested his life in these people, so he's saying to them simply this, hold this forth, let this be your God. Somebody comes at you with, a, with, with an attitude, show them the book. On your job, hold forth the word. In your family, hold forth the word. Uh, wherever you go, let the word go first. And so he's talking about the word being a God and being something that if, it's, if we're holding it forth, then it's very evident in our life. Now let's jump into some new territory here. Verse 19, Paul said, now he's writing the church at Philippi and he's writing from Rome. And so he says to the church there as he writes this letter, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you that I may also be of good comfort when I know your state. So he's saying, look, I, I want to, well, they didn't have cell phones, okay? They couldn't text, they couldn't email, they couldn't uh, Snapchat. Uh, they couldn't chat snap. They couldn't do any of that stuff. And uh, as a matter of fact, today we got a message on our phone that, that um, uh, Dixie and Reagan, who were, were in Williamsburg today touring, were FaceTiming us. They're sending us a little FaceTime deal. So, so um, they sent that, and we were able to listen to them, and we sent one back. And, and, and so it's a lot. They didn't have that in this day. So, so the... the, the um, the word that reached people took a long time. Lewis and Clark that traveled across the length and breadth of this nation to discover the Pacific Ocean and in fact that there was no Northwest Passage uh, in reality, no waterway. Um, uh, when they came back, um, Meriwether Lewis died and it was months, I like two months before William Clark knew that his friend had even died. Word was slow. Sometimes it was months in the making before you found out that certain things happened. And, and uh, there were actually guys that rode around and read newspapers. They would bring newspapers in from the east and ride out into difficult places in the west where there were, there were no way for a word to get in. And they would stand up and read the newspaper about what the president had said and what was going on in Washington. And, and there would be crowds that would gather in halls to hear them, they'd pass a bucket around and people would pay whatever they wanted to for the speaker and the news that he brought to them. So that was sort of, that was sort of the nightly news, so to speak, that came along uh, on a night like every six months or so. Uh, but Paul wants to send Timothy because he, he wants to know, he wants, he wants to make a contact with them. He wants them to know um, what's going on with him and he wants to know what is going with them. And then he says this in verse number 20. I want to send Timothy to you. I want to send Timothy to you because I want to know uh, what's going on. It'll comfort me to know how you're doing. Paul had invested his life in the church. And then he said this in verse number 20, for I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. So Paul wasn't just swapping info here. Paul, Paul wanted to send somebody that would care for them, would help them 
in, in their struggles as a church, Paul wanted to send somebody, if I send him, I can't make it myself. I want to go, but I can't make it myself. I'm going I'm gonna, I'm gonna to be comforted if I know that they are uh, taken care of. And so Paul obviously is very grateful for Timothy. Uh, they thought alike. That does not mean that they agreed on everything, nor does it mean that they were identical in their taste or in the way in which they did things. What it means is simply this, that they had the same passion. He had a passion for the church at Philippi, and, and so Paul said, uh, I have no man like mine. There's nobody that I feel like will love you and care for you like I would as much as, as Timothy will. And so Paul is, is sending uh, him there, and uh, Paul is very, very grateful for Timothy. Now verse 21, watch this. For all seek their own, not the things which are, are, are Jesus Christ. So there's the dark verse. Here's the bright verse. The bright verse is, hey, I got Timothy. He, he's, he's, he's my buddy. He's like-minded. He'll come and help you. I'm going to send him as soon as I can. As soon as I can work this out, I want Timothy to come because I know Timothy will watch out for you and he'll know what to do with whatever you're facing. Then he gives the dark verse. And the verse is this, for all seek their own. I'm sending Timothy, for all seek their own and not the things which are Jesus Christ. So it seems evident that Paul had asked other people to go. I mean, why that verse? Why would he say, I'm sending Timothy to you, but there's a lot of people that just, they're not seeking the Lord's work, they're seeking their own. Why, do, why, why is that verse interjected here? It's because it seems like Paul had asked others to go to Philippi for him, but they refused to do so. For whatever reason, whatever excuse they could come up, maybe the journey was too far and too difficult. We're going to see in just a little bit, that the journey is obviously seems arduous. We're going to read about Epaphroditus who was in bad shape, and maybe some of that bad shape came from the trip that he had just made from Philippi to Rome. So to reverse the trip, people are saying, dude, I saw what he looked like. I don't want to make that trip. It's too hard. So maybe, maybe rather than trusting God, they were, they were placing themselves in a situation to where they weren't willing to make the sacrifice that Epaphroditus had made to bring word to them. Maybe they had things on the home front that they needed to tend to. Okay, So like the guy that said, i got to bury my dad. Well, his dad hadn't died. Jesus wasn't refusing him to go to his father's funeral. His dad hadn't died. The, the object was, was that the, the, the son was to take care of the burial of the father, and he says, look, I can't go until i, I got to hang around until my dad died. And, and, and what Jesus said, look, you know, you got to decide your, where your priority didn't mean he couldn't come back and bury his father. It meant that he couldn't hang around and wait on that to happen. You've got to count the cost. And so here, maybe they had something that they were tending to on the home front and, and, and decided that they could not go. Maybe they felt like their chosen place of service was Rome. If that was so, I'd still be in the South, I'd still be in Savannah. That's my home city. I know it like the back of my hand. It's the hostess city of the South. They serve blue crab cakes there. You can get bald peanuts on every corner almost. I'm talking, it's, 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 a, it's a, everybody that, people say, you're from Savannah. Oh, I've always wanted to go to Savannah. Or I've been to Savannah. It's a lovely city. So 
you know that most people never leave their hometown? They, they hang around? So, so if, if that's the case, maybe these people were saying that very same thing. I feel like God's equipped me right here to minister right. I, I know this city. I know this place. I know the customs. I know the people. I, I'm, I'm fit for this like a hand in a glove, but that wasn't the will of God. The opportunity for them to go somewhere and make an impact for God, maybe they turned it down because they, they did not want to leave their comfort zone. And I've said this all over the nation where God's allowed me to preach, I will forever eternally be grateful to my God for guiding me away from my comfort zone and bringing me to a place to where it, it is the greatest joy and privilege of my life, and I can't imagine myself anywhere else. I can't picture my life without your lives. I can't picture my life without here. We call it Idaho. And when I'm buried, I'll be buried in Idaho. This is, this is, this is my place. You're my people. This is, this is my family. And I'm grateful for that. But had I not been willing to go, had God not brought me to that place in my life, I'd have missed out on so much. I'd have still been there eating blue crabs. That hurts. And boiled peanuts. If I was wealthy, I'd just have them shipped in daily. But anyhow, you can't do that. And people here are critical of them. But anyhow... I'm just saying, whatever the reason is, they would not go. Okay, They would not pack up their grip and, and, uh, and move. Now, here's what Paul did. And Paul's the one that interviewed him. Remember this? Paul sat down and said, look, would you, we've got we've to get somebody back there to help the church, and, and, and I, I need the comfort of knowing they're okay. Could you, would you shore this up? Would you add some stability to this? And after Paul interviewed, I don't know if it was one, two, four, or seven. I don't know. But Paul's conclusion was simply this. They were selfish. They're selfish. The reason they will not go, Paul said, is because they seek their own. They're just trying to do what's best for them in their own eyes. Do you know this? Do you know that God knows what's best for you? Do you know that God knows what's best for me, for each one of us? The move that God makes in our life is always the best move. Let me tell you the best place to be. The best place to be is, 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 is not a city, it's not a state, it's not a nation. The best place to be is in the middle of the will of God. Wherever that may take you, to know that you are where God wants you to be brings a peace and a purpose and a contentment that nothing else, nothing else can provide for you. Even when things go bad, knowing that you're in the will of God provides a, a security for you. For instance, when Jesus said to the disciples, get in the ship, go to the other side. Well, when they got in the ship, they rowed for hours, made no progress, and the Bible said a storm rose up, and they were afraid they were going to die. But Jesus came to them on the, on the water. Why? Because they were directly in the middle of the will of God. Jesus had told them, you get in that ship, you go to the other side. And so the, if he told them, get in the ship and go to the other side, you think Jesus knew the storm was coming? Absolutely. So the storm was a part of the will of God for their life also. When the Lord told me to come to Idaho, and I came to Idaho, I'm so glad I did. Or I would have been on the other part of the nation rather than where we were when our grandson went through his difficulty and Josiah passed away, I would have been in Georgia trying to get here perhaps, 
Uh, I'm just glad I was here. And, and I want to just tell you this, having, having the certainty that, that I was where God wanted me to be helped get through the storm of that time because this storm didn't come because I was here. The storm was coming anyhow. I'm just glad I was in the middle of the will of God when the storm came. And, and so they, they were not considering what was best for the kingdom and the work of God. First uh, John 3.22, And whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him. Why? Because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. Why? When we pray, why do we have confidence in our prayer? Because we are obedient to Him and we're doing the things that are pleasing, not in our sight. We're, we're not seeking our own. We're doing the things that we know brings pleasure to God. And that's important. Now Paul is going to go and do some specific commendations. Also, he's talked, I want to send Timothy. I've asked others. They wouldn't go. They were seeking their own, not the things that are the Lord's. And now he's going to go and do some specific commendations on Timothy. Notice verse 22 and uh, 23 and 24. Watch this. But you know the proof of him. You know the proof of him that as a son with the father. Boy, that's a statement. That's a statement. With, as the son with the father, he hath served me in the gospel. Him therefore I send to you present, hope to send to you presently, so soon as I shall see how it go, will go with me. But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. And, and, and but can I just say, look, Paul couldn't have said that when things began. Okay, Timothy wasn't there from the get-go. Paul didn't say to Timothy, you know, right from the start, a week later, I tell you what, he's like a son to me. No, you can't do that. You have to grow into this. This is, this is a growth of relationship. And now Paul's down the road a little bit. Timothy's been serving him. Paul said, let me tell you something about Timothy. Number one, he treats me like his father. He's that good to me. He treats me as if I were his own dad. He's my son in the ministry, and I love him, and I thank God for him. And he said, not only that, but he served with me. He has served side by side with me. I remember the first time I walked into Bible Baptist Church in Savannah, Georgia. My pastor Cecil Hodges was on the platform pacing back and forth like a panther and preaching the Word of God and thundering from one side and thundering to the other. What a great preacher. What a great church. And, uh, man, I tell you, it, I remember just being in... in tranced by the conviction with which he, which he preached and just the amazing uh, passion that he had for the Word of God. I went off to Bible college and, and then I came back and worked on staff and your pastor's boss is not nearly as nice as your pastor's pastor back in those days. And so I worked for him for a while, just a couple of years, and then moved on. But after that, it allowed me to develop a relationship with him to where he was like a dad to me, and I was like a son to him. And um, uh, I would send Miss Hodges flowers every Mother's Day because I loved her so dearly. I'd send my mom flowers, and I'd send her flowers, and uh, would talk with her on the phone. And, and uh, years later at his funeral, uh, I uh, edged up to her, and I said to her, she, she couldn't see me then, focus good, and I said, your son is here. And she said, where's Dean? And that, made, that made the, meant the world to me because I, I love them and was able to serve alongside him 
and uh, and and I'm I'm grateful. That's what Paul is saying here. There's a there's a there's a a, a deep um, personal relationship here that wasn't instantaneous. It was a part of a process of growth, and I think our relationships have grown over the years. I, and I love that. I like I like the fact new people come in and. And I'm grateful for them, and you always wonder how that's going to go and how that's going to work, and you see those begin to develop, and I like that and, and enjoy that. And that's a wonderful part of being a Christian. We'll talk about that uh, in, in a little bit. But Timothy, Timothy had earned his stripes not by talent. Paul didn't say, let me tell you something about Timothy. He's the most talented guy I've ever known in my life. He's absolutely, he's totally brilliant. The guy knows everything. Let me tell you something about talent. It's worth a dime. And if you pay a dime for it, you're going to get a lot of change back. Because talent isn't worth anything. Some of the most talented people I've ever known in my life have been the most useless. They've wrecked churches. They've wrecked families. They've wrecked lives. And behind all of their skill and all of their ability and all of their, their uh, acute awareness of what it is they're dealing with, there, there is a swath of, of shredded, broken lives as far as the eye can see. It's character. It's faithfulness. So Paul says to Timothy, he treats me like a dad, and he served beside me. He's earned his stripes by faithfulness. I'd rather take someone that I have to train and teach how to do ministry than to get some guy that comes in and he's all suave and decked to the nines, and yet he doesn't have enough character to love people. And so Timothy is talking about that. And, and there's, there's, there's affection and there's appreciation infused in these words. And, and I, I think we ought to be grateful for everybody that ministers, everybody that does a part of, 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 of the work in our church. Our staff as a team, I'm grateful for our staff, thankful for for uh, Chad and Georgia and, and, and uh, Nathan and Carissa and, and everybody else, whether it's, whether it's running uh, uh, the soundboard. I'm thankful for Calvin and Diana. Uh, Calvin is, is stepping down from that now, and, and I'm so grateful for all the years. And he's helping train. we got stuff in place, and it's going to be fine. But I, I just thought to myself, here's a guy that for almost 15 years sat in the back and made sure things ran. And I'm thankful for that. I'm grateful for people that, that are, nobody looks and says, well, what do you do at church? Well, I, I, help, I help take down when Sunday's over. Oh, my word. Really? What do you, I, you stack chairs? You load the trailer? I'm thankful for every one of them. Every single one of them. Doesn't matter if you're picking up paper. Doesn't matter if you're rolling up mats. Doesn't matter any of that. When Luke left, some of our elder men have got huge biceps now because Luke would do that and, and Colby. And, and when they're not here, we have to actually take people to the ER afterwards. So please be grateful for them and, uh, and thankful for that. And, and so the reality of the matter is it, it, there's a lot of work. There's a team, and, and they make it possible for me to do the work that I do. I want to just say this, and I mean this sincerely. And I know this full well. There are things that, that God has allowed me to do in working in the lives of people. We just saw eight teenagers saved. Next week I'll be in Colorado. 
in, in preaching to teenagers that come in broken and hurt and their families, they come from alcoholic families and we've seen Muslim kids saved at camp and one year we preached there were 41 kids that got saved that year. Just incredible things that happened. I could not do that if I didn't have uh, Timothy's and Epaphroditus is here that I can walk away and know this that this church will get the exact same care as if as if I were behind the pulpit now I limit and I'm trying to be careful with it um, and, and I try to let the Holy Spirit of God guide me but I am I am absolutely thankful for those that fill in and they're not even filling in they're just doing their job in in allowing me uh, for God to use me in certain areas, I'm, I'm deeply grateful for that. That could not happen uh, if I wasn't able to go and not fret and not worry about this church and you people and how wonderful you are and how easy you are to pastor and, and, and the guys that, that do that. I know a church, uh, by the way, uh, back south that split. <laughs> That's not funny. But anyhow, they, I'm serious, they split dead center, dead center of the church. The reason they split is because a church member gave a staff member a gift and didn't give it to the pastor. And so there was, there was a confrontation between the two staff members, and it was so great, I mean, between the pastor, he confronted the staff member, it was so great, the church split right down the middle. Well, that's pathetic, my word. I thank God, you know, that you don't just take care of me as, as well as you do, but that you take care of our staff. And, and so I'm, I'm grateful for that, and they're, they are uh, as, as uh, worthy to be blessed, and that should never be the case. There's never any competition. Galatians 6.6, 6, let him that is taught in the word communicate. What does that word communicate mean? It means express. So communicate unto him that teacheth, um, uh, in all good things. So we ought to thank God for the people that minister to us, and we ought to minister back to them. That's not just the pastor, that's the staff, and that's the people here that are laboring and, 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 and doing their best. When we have, we, well, I, won't be, I can't say that right now, but anyhow, I'll say it later. Um, but we want to be a blessing to people that, 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 are, that are help to us. Uh, Chip does things that I can't do. First of all, he's better at it than I would be. Him and LaVon both, they, they have a gift and a skill of going into incarcerated youths. And so, you know, what he's, you know what he has done? He's allowed our church to have a greater outreach than it would have had with just me. I mean, that's, that's wonderful. Uh, Scott, Scott has a way, him and Lori, actually it's her because of her sweetness. Oh, I mean, they just go in to, to our shut-ins uh, over at the assisted living center, it's amazing how genteel they are with these people and they love them. That's allowed our church to have a greater outreach than it could have had with just me. So it's not a just me thing. It's, it's a thank God for everybody that's involved and I'm grateful for that. Well, let me let, let you in on a little, little secret here. I, I absolutely love bookstores. Okay. A bookstore to me is heaven and, uh, well, I'll, let me do it this way. A bookstore to me is Christmas in a building. Okay, I love it. First thing I do when I go in a bookstore, and, and I, I like Barn and no, Barnes and Noble. Don't say nobles or Chad will correct you as a grammar Nazi. But anyhow, I like Barnes and Noble, and I go, the first thing I do is I go to the biography section. Okay, I want to I see, see the new biographies. 
Then I go to the history section because that, that deals with great people and great events and, and at least notable people and notable events. And I, 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 love, I love reading about the people and events that shaped history. Right now I'm reading a, a book called Blood and, and Treasure uh, by Tom Clavin. He's a great writer, tremendous. I've read several of his books. Tremendous writer. Him and Bob Drury go together and write books on, on like uh, Dodge City and things like that. Tremendous writers. And so I'm reading this book. It's about Daniel Boone and uh, the settling west of the Appalachian Mountains. And it's, it's, a fascinating, it's a fascinating read there with everything that they faced and, and uh, Braddock's folly and uh, the, you know, the, the development of young George Washington and Daniel Boone was with him there at, uh, in their battles. And it was just fascinating to think. Well, what Paul is going to do now is he's going to write a biographical sketch. We don't know a lot about Epaphroditus, but what we do know we get from the pen of the Apostle Paul who takes the time to write in this letter to the church at Philippi uh, a biographical sketch of this man. Let's look at it, verse 25. Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger, and he that ministered to my wants. For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that ye had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick nigh unto death. But God had mercy on him and not on him only, but on me also lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him therefore the more carefully that when ye see him again ye may rejoice and that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold uh, such in reputation because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death not regarding his life to supply your lack of service toward me. So we can, we can, we can gather, we can ascertain certain facts um, from what Paul writes. Epaphroditus obviously was the messenger that brought the letter and the message from Philippi to Rome. So here's the guy that came this way, okay? He came this way. He's delivering the letters, whatever else he brought with him, the messages. He's bringing it from Philippi to Rome uh, where Paul was at. And, and while he was there, and again I want to say this, possibly because of the strain and the difficulty and the hardship on the arduous journey that he took getting from Philippi to Rome, he became extraordinarily sick. So sick, in fact, um, that he almost died. And so here's a man that had done his job. Remember, people here won't go back. You know, for all seek their own. You know, they're not committed to the cause of Christ. They, they, won't, they won't do the things that are the Lord's. They're all wrapped in doing the things that are theirs. That's what Paul said. And, and, and we, we have struggles with that even today. People that are more wrapped up in building their own kingdom than his. Building their own empire than his. And so Paul is frustrated with that. But he said, now here's a guy, this man, he came from you to me. So he's writing back to Philippi, and he said, I'm sending him back to you. I, I think that probably... Um, uh, he's writing them because maybe the people at Philippi, they had heard that he had been sick, 
but they weren't fully aware of, of, of the, 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 uh, how serious it was. And Epaphroditus finds out that Paul is writing them and telling them, your man you sent to us, this, this faithful brother almost died. And he knows how that's going to impact his family, how that's going to impact his friends at church. Are you kidding me? To shorten the name, it was Epaphras. So Epaphras almost died. I mean, it's going to shake his family, shake his parents. So he's, concerned, he's, he's got heaviness because of that. And Paul said how thankful he was that God spared his life and, and uh, that kind of thing. And, and then Paul says this to them, I, I'm taking great care when I send him back to you. Now, I don't know, what does that mean? Did he get a carriage that was cushioned so that he wouldn't have to go over the rough roads? Probably, very likely, Paul made arrangements uh, that he would have somebody to go along and care for him on this journey and make sure that he didn't fall back in the same condition on the return journey. So Paul, Paul made the statement there uh, that, that uh, I sent him, verse 28, therefore the more carefully, the more carefully, when you see him again, you won't weep, you'll be able to rejoice and and, uh, uh, you know, be, be glad for what God has done uh, in his life. And so he's, he's, he's talking about receiving with gladness. He's stirring them up to be thankful for someone else in their church, in their life, in their ministry, that God spared his life. I'll tell you, we ought to thank. Listen, you don't miss the water till the well runs dry. You ought not take advantage. You ought not take for granted the Epaphroditus's that God has placed in our, in, in our way here. None of us are perfect. None of us do everything right. And if we focus on those things, we'll become critical. But if we look at, look at the addition and the blessing that people have been in our life, I want to tell you, it, it, it makes such, a, uh, such an impact. And so he's invoking gratitude from the Philippian church for the mercy that God had extended to Epaphroditus. But he's not going to leave it there. He doesn't just give a commentary and say, boy, let me tell you, Epaphroditus got here. <laughs> Man, he's in bad shape. He almost died. What he's going to do now is he is going to uh, give a revealing commentary on this man. The first thing he says about him here, he, he said, my brother. So the first thing he says is that Epaphroditus, Epaphroditus is his brother. Now that's a great word. Can I look, look, everybody look at me. Listen to me. That's a Bible word. Brother is a Bible word. I've heard people say, I don't like calling anybody brother. Well, are you saved? You know Jesus? Well, what's wrong with that? Well, it's just, I don't know, it's just awkward. That's because you're used to the world's language. What do you, what, I mean, I, I, and, and you don't have to say brother. I'm just simply saying it ought not be an embarrassing term. You know, it's a Bible word that, that, that's used uh, uh, 122 times in the New Testament, and by far the large majority of those times that it's used is referring to spiritual kinship, not physical. He's my brother. He's my brother. He's my brother. He's my brother. Paul calls Titus his brother. He calls Philemon his brother. He calls Timothy his brother. Over and over that word is used. And, and the reality is, is that word implies relationship. Isn't that great? It implies relationship. Um, we may be from different states or regions or maybe even different parts of the world, but we're brothers and sisters 
in Christ if we know the Lord. We may be from a different ethnic background. Our skin color may be a different shade. Our traditions and customs that we learned in our upbringing may be as different as night and day. Just may, just may be different. I mean, in the deep south, before you bury somebody, you have a wake. I mean, have you ever been a part of a wake? Yeah. They put the body a lot of times in the house. And you sit up all night with the body in a casket in the living room of the house where they lived and died. That's called a wake. Why'd they do that? Because back in the old days, back in the old days, the, they, they would do that um, before uh, they embalmed somebody just to make sure they were truly gone on to the other side. And it comes from a little bit of a superstition that we've talked about before that the Jews had that the spirit never, the spirit was out of the body, but it hovered nearby until uh, for, for three days. Because you remember how they said to Jesus, Lord, it's been four days, and by now he stinketh. Meaning by now his body has already started decomposing. So, Lord, the spirit's already left. You're not going to bring him back. And Jesus did. But that was a superstition. And so down in the deep south, I've been a part of wakes where you sit, you sit in a living room and everybody's talking and sort of in a little bit of a hushed language. And, but that's, that's tradition. And, and most people don't, don't understand that. They've never grown up with that. But can I tell you this? Uh, doesn't matter what region you're from. Doesn't matter your customs and your traditions. Uh, Maybe as different as night and day. But if we're saved... We're family. If we're saved, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and we ought to rejoice in that. 1 John chapter 3, verse 17. But whosoever hath this world's goods, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? What a question. You, you got a brother? You're saved? You got the same father? You're going to the same heaven? You've been born again spiritually. You're part of the same family. And he's got a need. You won't meet his need. How do you tell me you've got the love of God in you? 1 John chapter 4, verse 20 and 21. If, I, if a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he's a liar. Son. There's no shellac on that, is it? That's bare wood. If a man say, I love God, and yet he hates his brother, he is a liar. He's an absolute liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? We ought to be so ashamed in Christianity today that we take such pot shots. We despise guys that don't do everything exactly like us. Now, I don't have to, I don't have to cooperate with my brother. I don't have to agree with my brother. I don't have to... I don't have to join in side by side with my brother. I don't have to attend his meetings. I don't have to invite him to mine necessarily. But there is one thing I have to do. I have to love him. You know why? He's my brother. we got the same father. Watch this. And this commandment, he said, verse 21, chapter 4, 1 John, have we from him that he who loveth God Love his brother also. Whenever I meet somebody that's bitter and sour, and they just all they can do is pour poison. You know, have you ever met somebody that their conversation is toxic? They're always 
They're always ridiculing and criticizing and looking down at people. You know what I know about them? You can cut this in 47 different slices, but it all comes out the same. They don't love God. And I say that simply based on the Scripture. One of the things I love about Mallory's dad, Brother Frank, is that Frank's, Frank loves people. He just, he just loves people. And I love him. And we, he and I have a great relationship. And I'm, I'm so, I've been so blessed by him since I've been out here. Because if, if Frank Umber is your enemy, you better show me where the bodies are at. Because, I, I mean, he, he just he loves, he loves his brothers and sisters in Christ. That's a great example. And it's, it's so much like the Lord. And, and, and so... Uh, when we become brothers and sisters, you know what that should do? It should nullify so many of our differences that our relationship overshadows our differences. I've got relationship with you. You don't have to agree with me. I love you anyhow. It ought to overshadow. We shouldn't focus on our differences. We should focus on our relationship. And that's important. Second thing Paul said about Epaphroditus is that he was a companion Notice that a companion in labor. He shared the same, uh, the same focus as Paul and, and was uh, the same passion and was willing to invest his blood, sweat, and tears. It was his labor. He was a companion in labor. Labor means blood, sweat, and tears. And, and Paul said, let me tell you something about Epaphroditus. He put his shoulder to the plow and he plowed with me. He put his blood, his sweat, his tears in it just like I did. And he was grateful for him. Um, this year at camp, unlike any other year, for some reason, we've worked hard at developing things and getting things where we want them to be. This was our largest year at camp. More kids there. <coughs> Had kids saved. It was amazing. But unlike, or more so than any other year, I sat there this year and I watched the teens interacting and then I watched the adult pastors, the counselors, and <clears throat> their wives interacting, and, and I, I, I sat on a rock, just, just leaned back and watched it all happen, and for the first time, it overwhelmingly dawned upon me that the vision that God had given me when I came out here to have a teen camp in Idaho that had a closeness and a family atmosphere where people loved each other and had a reunion every year for the first time, it just swept over me that the vision was a reality. This is, this is, I sat there and just watched adults laughing and clowning around and picking each other up and riding piggyback and doing stupid stuff, you know, that you can't always do in your church. Now they're free and they're having a great time and kids are laughing. And I sat there and just soaked it in and became very, very thankful for what God was doing there at, at Sawtooth Baptist Youth Camp. Now, can I say this to you in all honesty? Chad and Georgia are more responsible for that than I am. By far, there's not a comparison. By far, in a way, they're more responsible for, for the Spirit and for the ongoing growth of Sawtooth Baptist Youth Camp than I am. W what happened was I brought a vision out here, and Chad 
in Georgia took my vision and not only helped fulfill it, but they made it their own. And, and let me tell you, that takes some humility to be able to say, okay, this is what God has called him to do. How can I make that happen? And so they've poured hours. I show up at camp. I show up at camp, and people are asking me, what do we do about this? And I say, ask Chad. Well, how, how do we do this? Ask Chad. You know, uh, and I give him leeway and freedom. We talk. We, 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 he bounces things off of me. I'm very grateful for that. But I try to allow them to develop their flavor in it. One of the things I noticed when I first came out to the Northwest was that if you weren't a senior pastor, you were basically a nobody. When you go to camp, they give you two ping pong paddles, three ping pong balls, and you stay at the ping pong table all day long. Now, there's nothing wrong with doing that, but I just happen to think if people are going to pour their heart into something, that they ought to be given more, um, uh, more respect and more assigned, uh, you know, freedom and liberty to carry out what they feel like God would have them do. And so I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the reality of the fact that the things that we're able to do, they're not just on us. Other people are willing to jump in. Paul then said that Epaphroditus was a fellow soldier. Okay, He was a, he was a fellow soldier. And uh, that implies that he was willing to face hardships and sacrifice and face the battles that come with serving Christ. Paul told Timothy... He wrote to him in the second letter, in the second chapter, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Well, there are some things that aren't easy. There are battles that are going to take place. Thomas Paine wrote this. He said, These are the times that try men's souls. The summer soldier and sunshine patriot will, in this crisis, shrink from the service of their country. But he that stands by it now deserves the love and thanks of man and woman. Tyranny, like hell, is not easily conquered. Yet we have this consolation with us, that the harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. What we obtain too cheap, we esteem too lightly. It is dearness only that gives everything its value. Heaven knows how to put a proper price upon its goods, and it would be strange indeed if so celestial an article as freedom should not be highly rated. That so moved the Continental Army, that it was a rallying cry that led them to victory. And I want to tell you, if we need deliverance from anything today, it's the summer uh, Christian and the sunshine believer in, in the work of God. This is no time for half-hearted commitment, no time for indifference. Uh, we've got to stand firm in a day when churches have been deemed uh, non-essential. We better rise up. We better stand strong. Or our liberties are being stripped from us by the day. And we're being forced to accept things that are immoral and, and they're, they're doing stupid things like removing monuments and statues in somehow thinking that they can totally uh, hijack the truth of who we are as a people. And it's, it's, it's absurd. It's so superficial. It's so thin. It's so shallow. My word, we ought to find a voice and stand up for what, what is right. Not only that, but he was a messenger. That means he was an ambassador that was on a mission, mission and he brought truth and encouragement to Paul. I, I like it in, in the book of Acts where it says, they therefore that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. 
Well, that was a church of nothing but preachers. No, it was a church of people. What does the word preach mean? It means to herald the truth. So when persecution came under the hand of Saul of Tarsus, who later becomes the Apostle Paul that we've been talking about, when persecution came, the church scattered everywhere. Well, what'd they do? They go hidden trees and, and, and climbed under rocks? No, no, they went preaching everywhere. Women, men, teenagers, they went everywhere heralding the truth that the, the Savior had resurrected. They went everywhere telling everyone about someone who could save anyone. That's our mission as a New Testament church to spread the news. Not only that, but he was a minister. He was a minister. I like that. God, God, that's not a call to the pastorate. We're all ministers. You're supposed to be a minister. I'm a minister. I'm a pastor, but I'm supposed to be a minister. That, that, that's the call of God on the life of every believer. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 20 to his disciples, he said, You know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that have great, uh, that are great exercise authority upon them. But he said this, but not so among you, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered uh, uh, unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. So ministry involves taking your eyes off of you and your hurts and your needs and your pains and looking at other people and setting about cleaning their wounds putting their feet on solid ground, and helping them. And that can be tiring, and it can be exhausting, but it's also very, very fulfilling, and, and it gives purpose to life. Verse 30, look at that. Because for the work of Christ, you ought to underline that, for the work of Christ. Why? Not because of his own ambitions. Remember this, the greatest tyrant that will ever rule you and enslave you is your own ambition. People of ambition are unhappy. You know why? Because there's no balance to ambition. It's drive, drive, drive until you get to the top. And once you get to the top, you know what you find out? What do I do from here? In the millennial kingdom, I will climb Mount Everest. Wait a minute, I'm not through. Without oxygen. I'll not have oxygen. I'm fascinated by it. You know that. I'm fascinated by it. I've got, I've got more mountain climbing books than probably any other thing besides history books and biography. I love it. But I've read about people that have summited Everest and a deep depression set over them. You know why? Because they said to themselves, it's not enough. It's, it's, Everest wasn't enough. There's got to be something more, something higher. Some of them go over to K2 and die. I know people that climbed Everest and died two days later trying to climb some because Everest wasn't enough. And so the reality of, of, of the matter is, yeah, it, it can be tiring and exhausting, but if we do it, not out of ambition, but for the work of Christ. Notice verse 30, because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life. Why? To supply your lack of service toward me. You know what that tells me? It tells me Epaphroditus was all in. He gave, he gave it all. He wasn't looking for a cushy position, a nice office, and a lot of perks. He was in it for the Lord. Years ago when God 
began to move my heart to come to Idaho. I sat in a church service. And at the end of the service, it was in Knoxville, Tennessee. And at the end of the service, they sang a song. It was their invitation hymn. And it literally just brought me to my knees. It's a song that goes, wherever he leads, I'll go. I could not escape the words. I went down to an altar and got on my face before God and I said to God, I don't care where it's at, I don't care how far it is, I don't care what nation, I don't care what people, wherever you want to take me, I want you to know right this moment I surrender to that. Take up thy cross and follow me, I heard my master say. I gave my life to ransom thee, surrender your all today. Wherever he leads, I'll go. Wherever he leads, I'll go. I'll follow my Christ who loved me so. Wherever he leads, I'll go. That's what Epaphroditus did. Not regarding his own life, he went to supply their lack. I hope you're willing to do that. I hope we all are. Let's pray. Father, thank you now for your word, your love, and your mercy. I'm grateful for that, and I pray that you would bless now, have your way and will in our lives. Help us to be submitted and willing to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.